Hello and welcome to the MIC Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastalk and best-selling author of Project to Product, how to survive and thrive in the age of digital disruption with the Flow Framework. Joining me on today's episode is Peter Jordan, Group CTO at TUI, the world's leading integrated tourism group operating in more than 100 destinations worldwide. Peter has over 19 years of experience in providing leadership and expertise to industry-leading organizations across various sectors. Now, on this podcast, we have heard about many transformation journeys, but this one is truly unique. I've worked with dozens of transformations of the size that can say that what Peter and team have pulled off at TUI may be the fastest and most successful move to cloud and product value streams I have ever seen at this scale. Partway through interviewing Peter, I actually got shivers down my spine as I realized that TUI had truly turned the corner from travel company to technology company. Many organizations undertook a similar effort when the pandemic started, but what TUI achieved in the transformation speaks for itself and offers some invaluable insights and lessons to us all. It has been a truly amazing experience getting to work with Peter over the past year, and I'm thrilled that he has taken this time to share his lessons with us. So with that, let's get started. Welcome, everyone. I'm delighted to be here with Peter Jordan, who is the Group Chief Technology Officer of TUI. So, Peter, why don't we just start with actually how we met? Uh, this was a pre-pandemic fasting experience. You were actually, you know, at that point already had started your journey to cloud, to digital transformation. We kind of met around uh, some people at TUI Group. Uh, reading the Project to Product book, but why don't you tell us a little bit about how yourself, how you actually got to TUI, where TUI was at when we met and, and the kind of business that was doing, and then just the incredible transformation that I'd really like you to walk us through that, that you've really spearheaded over the course yeah, of the sh- past year. Sure. So, I mean, yeah, my, my background is actually, I, st- I started in software in the old days when you still have web banking, you know, the phones that flipped out and trying to get banking to work on a screen that doesn't have. So then I went into actual financial services. I built automated platforms for traders and stocks, insurance, um, investment banking. Um, actually, a, a group of us that built an automated trading platform was then finishing that task. And then TUI got us into, to, because they were right at the crisis. And um, so we came to rescue basically their migration to a new platform. And this was a third-party vendor and that's been running for five years and was really bad. And we came in, it's like, guys, you, there's no way you're going to make it. You need to cut cost. And I'm uh, sorry, scope. And we were just cutting, cutting. And eventually we, we got it live, right? So, and then I s- stuck around with TUI, started to help them, um, eventually became permanent there. And then I, I just started to see TUI just being an amazing company, a huge company. I mean, they're the, uh, the, one of the largest um, travel companies in the world. So we probably the largest tour company in the world. Um, and but I just see that the technology is holding them back. So we started with the mig- I started spearheading the migration of cloud. And at that stage, people were still of oh, a cloud is insecure. I was like, come on, guys, like seriously, the FBI runs in the cloud. I'm pretty sure, you know. But I, I realized I need to dial all the way back and like go to ground zero, start to there. That's fine. The scale of your operations when you were starting on this just just blew me away in terms of you know how the just the amount of planes, hotels, customers, and so on. So when you were starting on this journey, this was not a small starting point. So just tell us a little bit about the scale of, of the starting point. No, yeah, I think that I think that's what impressed me about TUI. So I kind of came in from, you know, traditional investment banks and then going into a tour operator that, you know, is operating just unbelievable numbers. I'll, I'll give you some, you know, we just pre-pandemic, you know, we were doing 27 million customers going on holiday, right? So they have 1,600 travel agencies. We operate 150 aircrafts, you know, 400 hotels, 17 cruise liners, you know, 180 regions. So that in itself, you're not, you don't just have an airline, you have multiple airlines. You don't just have a cruise, you have multiple cruise ships. You're not just running a hotel, you have multiple hotels and then the distribution selling platforms to 27 million customers you know the volumes is very picky so so actually it's a multi-dimensional business from a from a from it perspective and then the intellectual side me coming from investment banking looking at how 
the, this operator is doing yield management and price adjustments at millions and millions of price adjustments a day, maybe in hours they will do uh, hundreds of thousands of price adjustments in, in one country. So that's why I stuck there. And then I was like just looking at the unbelievable opportunity, but the, the oxygen just wasn't there to transform. So, so that's where we started on the cloud and it's like, there's, there's no way you can do digital transformation if you don't have the basics in place, right? So um, so I was lucky to, when we started with cloud, also there was a new leadership boards, uh, group level that came in and that kind of became the vision. Okay, we want to be in the cloud. We want to be API first. We want to be data-driven, big data. So, and that's when I started to read up. Like, I'm not the first person having to take a company to the cloud, but how would you address this? And then I was still in the markets. You had multiple countries, each operate their own stack, their own enterprise systems, right? Idle, classic, original, you know, CIO territory. I've got my KPIs, I've got my uptime, I've got my costs. My, okay, this is what I do, right? And I buy business from vendors and we top right-hand quadrant company, right? We call plate everything. So, you know, that was the business and, and the group grew through acquisition, right? So we had so many different organization structures, so many different operating models, so many different IT systems. And then right at that time, I when I... And started on this journey with cloud is when the group decided we'll become an official group. So Tui Group then started not just having a bunch of companies with um, shareholders, uh, sorry, majority of minority shares in. Everyone was um, absorbed into the group and become a proper group. And um, so, so at that stage, that's when I started already to think about we need to do stuff once. Okay, but it was so difficult because you just could not with legacy systems, third-party suppliers, consolidate anywhere. So, so I took it all the way back to, okay, we need to have the base ecosystem to build upon. So that's how we started on the, on the cloud journey. And, you know, I started to read all the stuff and so I can't be the first one to do it. And, and I just followed actually a lot of Amazon's advice, which is start small right? Train your people. And we did the first one. Then we did, you know, a, a significant enough transformation, which was taking the, one of our regions was responsible for 50% of our revenue. And we took their selling platform into the cloud at unbelievable speed, six months. And when I was um, asking the guys how long it will take, they were telling me, no, 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 it will take us two and a half years. I said, no, you have six months. And it took us six and a half months. But that pushed us and that gave everyone a confidence. We wow. can do this. They actually, the, our CEO came to me and said, like, I heard you talk about scalability and stuff. And, but it wasn't until I saw it, I said, now I believe it. You just tell me. Because actually we had, a, you know, in the UK, we had a, a few airlines collapse. And suddenly those people losing their tickets, trying to fly home, you know, flooded our systems. And if we were not in the cloud, we would not have been able to scale. But we scaled to hundreds of time on normal peak volume to, wow. to, to, you know, to be able to do it. And that was really you know, a massive catalyst because we can talk about later, right, when, how IT ended up leading that because people wanted to have that. They had a desire to consolidate. But you, are, you have this conundrum of the business connected to systems and the, you know, the systems is built for the business. So how do you uncouple those and then actually get to a place where you can say, all right, I have a strategy that will eventually, you know, systematically in a controlled risk way, consolidate a group of seven, eight large countries, 15, you know, if you take all the small countries in consolidation and then consolidate your business towards a single, you know, product organization where you do stuff once right so so that was the journey that's how we started and it was really at that stage when the business has flipped over and saying we really now must do this and there was a large program set up you know all the mds was in it and it was like so difficult because everyone is protecting still their, their law um but the the direction from the top was already there Right, we must do this. We must consolidate our markets. We must consolidate IT. And it was at that stage actually we were discussing the program with Amazon, and they were like, 
guys, you, you are transforming to a pro organization. You must read this book. And actually, credit to them. They gave us the book. They actually took your book and like brought the whole box in there. So like, like there's no way you will succeed without it. So they just handed it out. I read it. And um, the lady was setting up the program with me. She read it. And she ended up buying a bunch. And she, was, she actually was on holiday lying next to the pool reading. I was like, she never takes all of that. I was like, uh, I'd pick a different book next to the pool for the record. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, we were just like giving out the book to everyone. And even the business, right? And they were like, now we get what you're talking about. Like, and it, it gave them that, that a mental frame of, okay, we, we can, our job is to protect the business. Our job is to manage risk, right? Our job is to protect revenue, but how are we going to do this? Because every single big, large digital transformation program was late, so, you know, costly, we didn't care what we want. So it came from that traditional mindset, valid questions to ask, right? But just the, the, that, that flow framework, taking into consideration what the business wants, making visible what IT does, and give a different way to measure right? Instead of cost and time, right? And scope, like give me those three things. And then you never know what you're going to get. That gave them the courage to actually say, yeah, we can also go faster. And then we actually started to plan with the business. Okay. What would that look like? And that's right at that point. That's when we met you and we, we invited you to come and talk uh, to, you know, you, you, you Gave a fantastic talk, actually, when we were still able to fly around. So we were... That we was one of my last CIOs flights, I think, yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, we had all CIOs of the countries in the room. I don't think it, it took a lot of convincing. Like, people like, this is answering a lot of our problems. We, we know we need to measure. We know we get what we measure. We just don't know how to measure. What metric do you use? And I think what really struck was you are measuring proxy metrics, right? And for me, that that's what I keep telling them. Why do you do flow rooms? Like, because everything else is proxy metrics. And it, to derive reality from that is, is where your risk is buried in a massive program. So, so I think that's the beginning. And then pandemic hit us. And it became apparent that the world will not be the same. Travel will not be the same. You know, suddenly we need to look at massive cost savings. But one thing the business was saying, and the board decided, was this transformation, this digital transformation and consolidation of our business must continue. And we had actually, you know, more of an acceleration requirement and saying, you you need to hit these dates because if we don't, we won't get out, we won't be hit, we won't be able to compete when we get on the other side. And that's where I think everything changed and we... We also realized that we can't, in, in the pandemic, with half the people on furlough or in government programs, run big programs. We need to make it small. We need to, to take that startup day mentality into, into our thinking of starting the program. And that's, that's when we started that and we met you. I think it was an answer to me because I'm responsible to kind of bring this to life and not knowing how I'm going to actually expose the risk and make the right decisions especially when you're running, really trying to take off with runway that will run out. That, that was my, my conundrum. And I think you answered, at least give us that framework to think about. So. Peter, I think it's, it's just amazing to hear you reflect on it, right? Because when, when I think that when we started, uh, you know, meeting regularly and, and working together on this, I, at the same time, I was, as you can imagine, I was working with a lot of leadership teams who were saying the same things, right? Which is that this was their opportunity to double down on their digital transformation, that this, this, this would actually, you know, the business was pushing hard. And the business for many organizations, the CEOs, the, the boards were pushing harder than ever, especially for the, the businesses that were more affected. And the what what to me is so amazing about what you and Tui have done is just the speed and effectiveness at which it worked. So I think you've touched on many parts of this, but I really want to dig into some of the aspects because I think you've got mm-hmm. so many of the success patterns here. And it's just an amazing combination of the things that you were doing before. The, the visibility had already established, right? That story about your, your CEO under actually understanding, you know, the benefits of scaling and, and seeing that, you know, a tangible benefit to what happened with all those cancellations. Both put in place a lot of the sort of right thinking ahead of the pandemic. 
had the right kind of visibility and metrics to actually be confident that you could manage the risk of such a large thing. And then you've now come out on the other side with, with just a completely new cloud-based platform. And which, you know, I think as, as you and I have reflected some is actually, you know, it is the right kind of technology platform to provide a, a modern operating model for the entire business, right? So it's, it's, this is just, I think, you know, one of the most impressive and effective transformation stories I've seen uh, through the pandemic. And I, I just, I do want to rewind a little bit because I think there's, you know, some of the things that you were, when we were talking almost a year ago, some of the things that you were struggling with, others are still struggling with today, right? You, you were looking at, yeah. so let's, let's just, let's, let's go back a bit and, and unpack a bit of the story. So, you, know, you you mentioned the different regions, right? When you when you started with Two Group and this this incredible scale, uh, the way that the all of that was being managed from an architecture and, and a software level is, you know, you had different regions with different customizations, with their own databases, with their own you know search boxes and parameters and promotions and all of these all of these kinds of things, which correct, is correct. I think such a common thing for for companies who do operate at a global scale. How? So it, it just seemed to me, and as we were talking through back then, it's just an almost insurmountable task to even envision how, from a business level, from the GMs that were maybe, or whoever the leadership was, married to those customizations and those bespoke yeah. things for those regions. The amazing thing here is just how quickly you did it as well, right? To, to get to a, you know, a region that was 50% of the business that quickly and demonstrate that this can actually scale to the whole company. What, like, what co- how did you get that right combination of validation through the technology that this could be done? Because I'm sure lots of people thought it couldn't be done. The, sort of the, the leadership buy-in to do it because people feel like they're losing things, right? They're losing things right. that they had easy control over in the regions as everything's shifting to a common platform, even though, of course, everyone now needs to shift to the kind of platform that you've built. So how did you get over that first hump? Yeah, I think uh, you're actually you're 100% right. I speak to some other companies that they run, you know, multi-markets and every market has autonomy and P&L responsibility. And I think, um, and I, I don't want to make it sound like I did that because I think it's a law of the transformation, transformational thinking needs to be and needs to come in the business. Okay, so we went from... Okay, let's just let's just buy the company, the countries. Okay, so I now have country, country. I just added. Now I have regions. Regions may have five countries. Okay, every country runs their little system, and then each of the regions had you know someone and say, okay, let's consolidate. But the way they would consolidate is just say, okay, let's choose the best or choose one. Actually, we did try to take big systems and stick it into small countries. That completely failed. Then we forced the small country to come to the big country, and then they get upset. Okay, and then like, oh, that doesn't feel like a startup anymore. Um, and But then then you blow your cost out of the water because that system is really, you know, designed for much bigger. So then, so we, we went through all those thinkings and, and the steps, but and we had to do that because we didn't have cloud to the maturity that we could say, okay, we will we will migrate. And we followed the normal cloud thinking as well. Okay, we will migrate system by system and that will, you know, give us at least scale and cost efficiencies and approaching it from a cost perspective. But I think when when the pressure really started to hit, the even our transformation strategy had to change our cloud migration strategy had to change and we 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 had a big program saying okay we will close all our data centers we will migrate x Mm -hmm. amount uh which is still the target but it's more how we do it and i think what happened was the the business got to the point where they they started to realize as actually great quotes okay let's you invest you know this will make up a, a number you know 10 million 10 million 10 million in the market Okay. Collectively, they deliver, you know, features to your customers. You invested 30 million as a group, but you only move forward 10 million in total customer benefit. Okay. So the other 20 million effectively is lost. It's it's money you could have used to do something else. And that realization came into the business all the way to the top. And I was a director from the top today. Now I'm going to take my business. I want and, and you know want to consolidate. Look for opportunities to consolidate and look beyond your PNL. Look beyond how do we do stuff once? That's it. Simple. Yeah. Just do stuff once, right? And that really changed, forced a different thinking and saying, well, I you you can't have that small 
autonomy anymore. You need to think you are a group, you are massive, you need to think at scale, but you need to allow for that autonomy to exist within certain areas of your business for innovation. So really that product organization match that because you can now take your business, you can break it up into domains or products or business areas that can innovate within the space. But what it does absolutely require is someone that was very broad, um, responsible for every system in the whole region to go to someone that is a technology leader, very deep, understand cloud, understand you know, very detailed technology stacks, but also can be an owner of a technology domain and our business domain, transform that and set up a product organization around that. So, so the product organization matched what we tried to do and the acceleration requirements helped the business to shift. And I think it was great because IT was ready. We were talking about one IT. We were talking about domain organization. It's just, okay, how do we carve up the domains now? So when, when you hit us, we already were on that journey of saying, okay, if one IT needs to exist, this is what it would look like. We took tour operating model. We said, okay, we'll have this domain, this domain, this domain. Okay, and these domains have quite distinct boundaries as clear capabilities, okay? And so and when we did that, we didn't have a single business organization to marry it with, okay? We knew if we want to do stuff once um, for somebody, we for, for the business, now, even if we have free, free customers, markets, countries, we as IT only want to do it once. But that model then really helped the business to also realize, well, actually, we do the same thing three times over. We do the same thing five times over. And why? And this is interesting. They were saying, well, Peter, we can't transform until you give us a platform that allows us to do it once. So that broke that conundrum or, or the deadlock of saying, okay, if IT is leading with a platform that allows the business to then consolidate around that business domain, right? Let's say pricing. Okay, how do we price? Okay, everyone actually is pricing pretty much in some sort of variance, okay? You can, it's actually unbelievable how many different ways you can come up with pricing an airline seat, okay? But, you know, we're all selling the same thing. We're selling our own planes three different ways. So how do we make that equal, okay? How do we make it so it is one? So so that by also building the system once, we force the business to come in and say, okay, well, well we're not going to build your 15 systems 15 times over. We're going to build one. Which What do we need to build? Tell me what is the correct pricing model. What, how are you going to consolidate around X? How are you going to consolidate around Y? Okay, and that forced them to start to think about it at least around the business capabilities. So we stopped talking about organization and the people, which mm-hmm. is always really the dilemma. Right? I'll come back to that and how that is difficult. But so taking people out of the picture, I'm, I'm building a system, and that system will have very one clear rule. A capability exists once. Mm-hmm. I don't have five document services. I don't have unless there is a real specific need for for regional things like you know payment services or you know that everything else exists once. But that then forced the business to come and say, oh, okay, well, how do we do it? Now, they would want to go away and think about it for three months and do hundreds of workshops. That's how we used to do it. So like, no, you're going to need to... We are... Let me make a second rule. We, we're going to move fast. We're going to move in increments. And we are not going to make one-way door decisions unless we have to. And some we had to. Like... How, what will your pricing model look like? Okay, how, well, how will you deal with X? How, well, there's, there's a few big ones we did. But, and then we said, okay, we're going to start, just like the success we did with our first migration, we're going to do and deliver the first thing super simple. So we actually started with a global hackathon, right? So we, the, the pandemic hit. So, okay, we need to build MVP. How are we going to do it? People can't come into the office. Okay, what are we going to do? So we had three days of hacking, and we just broke up the universe and said, okay, you take this problem, you take this. And around each one of those domains, we built an MVP. Guys were hacking Lambda functions, blah, 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 all sorts of things. It's like, okay, yeah, conceptually, this is how it could work. And we realized actually most of, well, the knowledge is there. 
the experience is there. The technology is definitely not the problem, okay? If we don't try and drag something old into the future. And that's when our cloud technology, our cloud migration and the strategy for the platform changed from, okay, I'm picking the best of all my systems and then trying to create Frankenstein to, I'm going to build net new because I will get there faster. And our whole strategy was actually then not about uh, lift and shift or pick a system and force a market onto that system. It was like, what is the most optimum way for me to deliver what the business wants in this domain? How will I break it up? In, in And then that was the start of the global program. The global program now delivered its milestones and we're running across multiple countries, single teams, global teams, global architecture teams, global engineering teams in a product organization in a pandemic structure where everyone's working from home doing global increments. So we have increment days, we, we have demo days, everyone is synced on, on when they deliver what. And that really changed the whole way of how we approach it because it was uh, IT leading and the business realizing we need to provide an answer fast. Otherwise, we, know we won't get there. We can't go away for three months. What is the answer? What do we build? And that forced them to really start to break down their universe into smaller bits, which then started to marry with the whole agile mindset and actually delivering in increments. Um, so, so suddenly the pandemic opened up opportunity to go fast and actually demanded to go fast. It created some challenges, but that was the, the start of how we we shifted from traditional lift and shift, consolidating your business around people, but no, consolidate your business around your product and the, the capabilities that makes up your product, your domains, your business domains, your, your product set and the capabilities that individual products needs to deliver to each other. And then the business is like, okay, I can do that. I can talk about pricing. I can talk about document service. I can talk about my selling platform rather than saying, I've got this huge universe that needs to migrate all together. And suddenly mm-hmm. you can take each one of those components. You can, you can create a migration path. You can create an MVP. You can, you can figure out. And it's still a large challenge. And I think this is, this is then where Flow Framework became a must for me when, when that ramped up to genuine large global scale. But trying to answer that question of, first of all, what, where many companies are, it's like, how do I do everything at once? You can't. You need to break it down. But even then, you have large problems in each cell, each product area, each domain that you then have to stitch together because eventually it needs to be create you know a unit for operating a business that's existing. So, um, so a lot of things came together for us. We had a lot of things in place, but that shift happened right as the pandemic started, and that changed the way we did the program massively. Yeah, and Peter, it's it's just fascinating, right? Because I, you know, so many organizations out there right now who are sort of have this very similar business goals or had very similar business goals during the pandemic. It's it's just amazing that they've come at from this mindset it's like we're going to cloud, right? You whereas you did something different, right? It's like we're we're actually going to shift the product and cloud. So we're not just going to be, and this is the amazing thing, right? If you're just measuring proxy metrics using your old ITIL metrics, using just just telemetry, uh, you're you're not focusing the way you are. We're just looking at what, how are we going to deliver to the business? How are we going to execute this big transformation program? But make make the risk visible and make in the end the, the business value visible. The fact that we have much better time to value, much better flow time by shifting this. We have much better scalability. We have much better elasticity when you know cancellation spike and these other things happen. So it, it's just been amazing. And it, it is the organization I'm seeing again, just taking this cloud is the goal mindset are just completely, they end up fascinating, as you say, in a lift and shift. Right, because right. the they're not having that conversation with the business. How this provides a new operating model and platform and opportunity for the business, which means they're actually just lifting and shifting the old workloads, the old applications, the old ways of doing things. And this is you know by combining cloud and and uh, product thinking and and flow, you've you've it, it's it is amazing how you've pulled this off. The thing. The thing that's so interesting, like, and I, I want to dig into one more crux because you, you know, you speak of these things like, and I, I appreciate you know how hard they are because we've had all the conversations, but the the fact that yes. you approach this 
And you got somehow from going from this hackathon and net new to, again, 50%, a region that's that's 50% of, of what you care about, to what's meaningful to TUI, supported. So just dig into that a little bit more, because I think so many organizations have with these massive large portfolios, right, that everyone understands that those need to change, those need to transform. But the speed at which you went, again, from hackathon to net new to, to 50, 60% of your business, it's... Uh, and it's 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 not easy doing that new, right? It's not yeah. easy. I think you've got very advanced thinking in terms of how platforms need to look, how how product investment means platform investment, right? Because the platform ultimately is the most important product. So, how did you again the investment in the in the core platforms, which I understand was underway, but the speed at which you went to to running this much of of Tui's business, I'd like to well, I understand. Think, yeah. And, and I think the investment was there, but still it was, okay, I need to run a program, tell me the systems and we're going to use, because I know my systems, right? And actually, we had a problem because you you have all these incumbents providing you capabilities, but by design, they blur the domain line so that they can, you know, sit across your whole organization. Mm-hmm. And then that makes it very difficult for you to innovate, to maneuver and change and, and do things right. So, um so when we, when we started with with the hackathon, um, we started to look at the system. We realized we okay, there's, there's certain capabilities already there. So we already moved certain things to the cloud. They are providing, you know, they're already the base of fifty percent of our sales. So let's choose someone. Other areas where programs are already on the go, but they had like really no end to end connection. It was transform the system into. Consolidate around X, consolidate around Y, but it's not a holistic view of your end-to-end holiday product or your end-to-end platform that provides a, a I'd say, holiday product because we you know, we sell cruises and flights and hotels or packages. So for us, that is a value stream end-to-end that is made up of of you know products underneath it, like product entities of our platform, so components of our platform. So. That that shift happened because we suddenly had a very different view of risk. Where I think in the past, if the business was still selling, making billions of revenue, their starting position is how do I protect my revenue? How do I reduce my risk? Suddenly the risk is I'm not going to be competitive. And Actually, I don't have people buying holidays or flying anywhere anyway. So actually, you need to move now. I want you to move now. And that's suddenly my potentially three, four-year program shrunk to, okay, you have a year and a half, okay, or a year or however long, you know, whatever the opportunity is within the window of reduced traffic, use it. Okay, so, so that was the catalyst. And then how we ended up doing it was really have a little bit of a start, go back to, you know, I, I like that startup mindset or the day one mentality. Okay, Amazon teach that quite often, day one mentality. And we we borrowed a lot of that. So um, you don't solve a problem that you don't, don't go and solve a problem that's, that you don't face right now. Solve the problem for what you need. Get stuff out of the door. And so a, a lot of these services was brand new. They like, we're not starting from it. We're building it brand new and but the business models was there and the architecture thinking was there so mm-hmm. it didn't take us very long to actually like okay yeah we know we we all know what north looks like go 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 what can you do and then stitching that all together your your flow from your data from the bottom to the top and then building the increment and then we start to realize the increments is key to us delivering this and so we set it up and we call it actually program increments and we run six weeks and then the program increment ends. And portfolio planning for what is happening is, again, next increment. So each team is running there to, to experiments. So they don't have to really consolidate too fast or demo too fast, but they need to, after six weeks, be able to consolidate and bring everything together end to end. So what it did was it gave us a constant evaluation of the risk of what we're running to deliver on time. So what you would do in a normal agile team, we're doing just at massive scale. We just like hundreds of developers and we just organize around, we will have, we call it global sprints. 
So we actually have increments. And right at the end, we have a three-day global sprint where everyone consolidates and then have a demo. A whole day where we demo what everyone delivered end-to-end, -end, and we actually demonstrate the product end-to-end. -end. And even if that is, hey, I built this API, and look, I took this data, I did this to it, and I passed it on, that's your demo. So we're building not a program, we're building a, a product, a, a platform that is delivering genuine customer value. So we focus on what is in the customer needs. And we that then ends up becoming your other problem because you, you start off with what you know. You start off with, well, this region, I know I sell these type of products. I know I have all these ancillaries and all these insurances and all this and that. So, so in order for me to go live, I need all of that. Is, is that MVP or not, right? So, so then actually, as you started to break the universe down into increments, you see how the universe of the business is changing and they could suddenly break up their capabilities into increments as well. So actually, I, I, I don't it's need awesome. this until I yep. fly. So yep. why do I have to deliver it now? Why am I even discussing this capability? Because number one, I don't have all people flying right now. Number two, you know, this is only relevant, you know, when someone returns from a holiday. So we could also start to change the, the way the business is, is. And even now, you can see after every increment how they start to break up their, their portfolio thinking into incremental deliverables. And it's still, it's, that is where the flow mindset really is hitting the road right now because it's like out of the sea of things I can deliver which is the most valuable. And I can't really start with the final product in mind, even though I know what it looks like. I need to start of what is the thing that will unlock value flow to my business next. So if I start from zero, I can't say, okay, well, let, let me spend tons of time to talk about the color of my dashboard in my car. No, you first must have a chassis. If you don't have a chassis, you can't put wheels on it. And if you don't have wheels, you can't then figure out. So literally, you need to build like that. And everything else gets deferred because what is unlocking my data flow? What is making my data flow for my system? What then lets me price? What then improves my search? What then lets me book? What then let me pay? What then, and breaking up your user journey like that and just built incrementally your platform to the point where you, okay, now I have a minimum viable product. Now I can add all the other capabilities. And actually that was what really changed and allowed us to deliver fast, still allows us to deliver fast. But then that unlocked the moment we delivered and the business like, we see this window, we need to go, go, go. Suddenly, um, we started with a smaller market, okay? And that was a conscious risk decision because going live, smaller market, you don't have so much customers to worry about. You don't have so many routes. You don't have so many hotels, okay? But from a, from a complexity perspective, pretty much the same as everyone else. But as we didn't deliver, we said, okay, what's it going to take now to, take, to take, bring my biggest region on board? Not just the country. How do I bring my whole region on board, the new platform? And I can't, again, start from, okay, I need all these things. No. How do I take that incremental thinking and then, again, say, okay, I know I will be with my increments. My pro maturity will be X. This is the most valuable thing to my market, so therefore it needs to go into my increment planning. And that really starts to force the market to think, okay, what is the most valuable from a revenue perspective, from a customer retention perspective, from a brand perspective, what is it I need to deliver next? And to do that for multiple markets all at once. So suddenly I'm thinking, not uh, what's this region? So no one's really fighting anymore about, oh, this is precious for my country. They're like, what is the most valuable thing for this whole region? So, so the, the negotiations is more around, okay, I need to consolidate. I have a region made because it's our five countries, right? What's special about this region? Okay, this business model, because these people are living on island, UK. Okay, they travel different to Germany. They travel different to France. Okay, now you're focusing on genuine customer differentiating parts of your business and you deliver what makes a difference in the matter to that. Of course, the business is, okay, this makes X for me, so I must have it. But the incremental deliverables also remove the risk um, 
but it's it's also you know piling on by having this I think Andy Jesse said that in the reinvent is if you really want to innovate, you must have an aggressive top-down goal, focus on the customer, don't complex, don't make it complex. And I was like, I read this like, I'm I'm really proud of us. Okay. But then I like that automatically creates a problem because, like you say, now suddenly the business, was, the, the biggest region says, Okay, we want to come next, and here is your date. Now my question is, do I have the flow? Do I have the throughput to actually achieve that? And I know I'm taking on technical debt to hit mm-hmm. my dates. Right, and, and this is literally the, the the conundrum you have. Suddenly, it's like okay, the more successful you are, the harder the, the pressure or the demand is, and the answers of these questions you just can't get through through story point measures. Okay, it's like just why is the net effect of a technical debt in one component of my platform to the end-to-end flow? And that is the that's the hardest part of doing this is the multi-dimensional complexity. I think we talked about even in, in your products that you, you need to have this view of the consolidated platform, all these components makes up my platform, but also I have this component that's actually shared across multiple work streams. Which one will slow down if, if I have a bottleneck here? Where do I invest my resources, my money, or focus? Where do I have architectural problems that, that will unlock a whole bunch? And so it does become a, a really complicated matrix of demand versus throughput and trying to keep that whole system literally flow, pun intended, from making sure I have enough requirements, enough decisions from the business on consolidated capabilities, enough architecture, just enough to make, to feed two, three of my increments while I'm delivering net new every increment is really then the big challenge. Yeah, Peter, and Peter, don't worry, we'll get those cross-cutting flow views to you soon. But, uh, but you, as, as I, you. <laughs> I know, you know you need them. I think that the, the thing that just really struck me as you were speaking is I think, you know, a year ago when I was meeting with you and, and the executive team, you, I was meeting with a company that, that wanted to be a technology company and, and saw the value in that and was on the journey. The way that you were you know, just speaking in the way that the business has changed its thinking and understands flow and value and, and the importance of feedback and the feedback loop um, and standardization, standardization, simplification, uh, smaller batches. It's it's it completely blew me away right now that I am actually talking to a company that is a technology company, and and that's in the span of a year, right? That is that is a fundamental shift to the operating model that's been. Driven by the right kind of marriage of of business, customer focus, and technology, and yeah, this this is exactly the hallmark of of what it looks like. So that is that correct. Is... And that, like when when our CEO was saying, "Hey, we turning to into a, a platform company, a digital platform," it's like people's like, "What does that look like?" Okay, we don't we don't even have a framework for it, right? And then when we conscious make decisions, we will control our intellectual property. We will build certain things ourselves. Okay, we like other things, you know, we, but we made that rule. It's like, we will focus on things that matters to us as a business. Let's solve business problems. Let's not build, let's not build any plumbing. Okay. And this is mm-hmm. literally the first thing we did in the program. I said, everyone will go out to Amazon. That's it. We have one platform, one ecosystem, and everyone builds it. Second rule is you don't build anything in Amazon that's already there. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to build piping and events mechanics and you use what's there you use the highest possible service you can to deliver the customer value as fast as possible and i really changed that 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 needed a massive shift in architects because you know from in a very old universe where you were risk averse you're like okay let's let's design multi-cloud okay yeah yeah exactly actually that that's so counterproductive because you are you're putting a lower level principle at the highest possible point, right? So you're making that the first principle to chase after. Multi-cloud is my, because I may want to move anyway. Listen, you you already locked in. You locked into Oracle. You locked into SAP. Okay. Yep. Like try to move away from them. Can you do that in five years? Okay. So, so actually, and the things you're trying to develop, you know, you will probably rewrite it anyway in two years. So your half-life of your platform is, is not even worth the investment to try and run multi-cloud. So where you have big risk, you already taken on those risks and, and turned it into five-year, 10-year, multi-year, lifetime contracts of big suppliers. The things you're building is because you want to build it and change it all the time. So, so just use the ecosystem as accelerator. 
and focus your energy on delivering customer value. And that is what we, that really changed us. And, and you could see the teams that actually started with some systems that we started off in the past. It was, and the teams that started net new. Like, um, I, I like, actually Craig said that in his, in his previous podcast, if you're saying, you know, it's not just serverless fast, first try serverless and step functions. And almost all these services is just like, yeah, I can achieve that with Stefan. Every architecture diagram coming across my plan is now serverless step functions. Hmm. And that really enables us to adapt quickly, reduce our risk. I mean, all the previous risks you try to manage in a traditional IT organization just is absorbed by the ecosystem because you are paying for managed services. So now I don't, I can architect different. And, and, I, and that, of course, then creates a different problem. Like you just can't have... You can't hire good architects, you know, security engineers fast enough. Okay, yeah. so then you have a training issue. And luckily, then we, we saw that and we started to train our engineers when we adopted, started to adopt cloud four years ago. So we actually were already at a tipping point where we had enough critical mass internally to be able to deliver capabilities um, and we could then substitute with the harder things where, where you don't necessarily have the experience. So, 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 you know, we have people now that has done large programs, they're working for us, and we have training programs for the guys that's emerging, right? But they are learning by seeing and doing. And it's, there's, there's no substitute for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Peter, see, it, it all sounds obvious when you say it, but I spent half an hour earlier this week with a technology executive at one of the largest manufacturers uh, who was telling me they're going multi-cloud because it's lower risk. And all I'm hearing is that, well, that's way higher risk. You're, if you actually right. focus not on the old ways of looking at risk, but if you focus on the flow of value and time to value and being able to, you know, separating core from context, right? Reusing every service, multi-cloud is, is the completely wrong way of thinking, right? You're going to take much longer to get there, much, you know, much longer cycles to, to feedback. Yeah. And uh, and it's again, I think it's it's this combination that you have of products, value streams, flow, and and cloud architecture that that actually got you there. But it is fascinating to me that the old architectural ways of thinking that I think you know we, we encounter a lot make multi-cloud seem like lower risk and better value. Yeah, and I think it starts with there's a white paper, I can't remember the name of the book, I can look it up, but it was about Pixar, right? And and actually how Pixar is fundamentally different from other businesses and why, right? And I read that book and I actually, I used that, I gave it to all my technology, heads of technology and engineers. I said, you must read this. And this is the story of Pixar, right? Written from within internally when they started as the first company to deliver digital animation and how they started, but how they failed. But every failure was... A breakthrough through the next, so you can see it through their through their animation. So, like you know, they were trying to to do something. Okay, it didn't work. Oh, but we can now you know animate these particles that ended up creating them ability to create hair, right? Or so then you can see how. But they never saw. They never managed risk. Every other business starting position is how do I manage my risk? So every if I do a business case, they say like, okay, what's my risk? So how do I manage my risk? Okay, I give you a fixed budget, I give you a fixed cost. Right. Right. Where you say, no, how do I leverage and give the ability to innovate and the freedom to innovate? Because you're trying to, by saying, starting with risk as your first position, your highest principle, I need to manage my risk, risk in delivery. You're basically saying, I don't want you to make mistakes. And Pixar realized that's part of the creative process is to make mistakes or to iterate over something. Mm -hmm. So so I'm going to give them credit. I actually borrowed a lot of my processing from them because they had they actually discussed in their book how they set up this uh, think tanks where people can go off, they can be created, they get the high-level direction from the senior people that says, okay, go try this out. Then they go try it out. And then they had demo days. You had to come back and demo where you are all the time. 
And it's quite scary because anyone, any one of the senior people will ask you a question. The directors and the, using the right names, you know, head, head of animation will ask you, okay, what about that emotion? That doesn't come through. What? And that creative process and critical thinking actually forced them to then improve the product. And in the net result is they did meet all the dates that was given to them by the investors to say, I want to have. Yeah. Um, but they where they made the biggest breakthroughs or mistakes in, in their mind, you know, what you would normally would try to say is like, we would never have discovered this capability and use it in the next movie because we would have stifled them the, the creative process. So that is the only way you can progress is by doing and making mistakes. You and then by trying to remove mistakes, you that that is counterproductive, massively counterproductive. Yeah. Right. So managing risk can't be your first starting position. Right. You are actually it's it is approximatric in itself. It's yeah. the biggest proximetric because your risk is the fact that you don't have visibility. Yeah. And you put something on as a as a soothes you. Oh, I'm managing the cost. Don't worry, I'm managing the timeline. Well, no, 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 I'm managing the scope. Like you just created a massive black box where you have like something's gonna jump out, but it will for sure as hell not be what you designed. So you must have that creative open process where you can constantly look at it and adjust and change. But that is not by saying risk is my highest need. No, flow and visibility and constant creativity is mm-hmm. the only way you will actually get what you want at the end, at the cost you want, on the time you want. And it sounds hard, but actually that's a huge shift for business is saying, well, so now I say, no, no, your risk is different. Okay, the risk is that you don't make decisions fast enough. That's my biggest risk. Yeah. How do I make decisions fast enough? Okay, that's a tangible risk I can address. Okay, my biggest risk is that I can't hire engineers fast enough. Okay, I can do something about that. But bubbling your risk and wrapping it in a project with time, cost, and scope, like you hide all that, all those risks still exist. They, they're invisible to you, right? And that's why I like the flow framework because it makes your critical areas that's about to blow up in your face visible. It's like you you don't have enough engineers because look at your technical debt. Okay, you don't have enough X, you don't have enough Y, you don't you need more people in this space, you need more people in that space, right? Your your feature delivery isn't fast enough. Okay, why? Okay, are we not is the business not making the decisions fast enough? Is is the engineers not making, you know, um, developing fast enough? Is the architects behind? But you can see it. And then that is the visibility is key. It's absolutely key. And is it, do we have it 100% right? Absolutely not, right? So, but I think it's, it's the starting position that you must change the starting position from I'm managing the creative process, right? Rather than I'm managing risk. Yeah, I, Peter, that's, I think that was, that's, that, that's awesome. I think, you know, I, I could not agree more. In the end, all we're doing with all these efforts, with product, with flow, with, with cloud, it's, it's what's what Adrian Cockroft calls just applying the theory of constraints to your OODA loop, your observe, orient, decide, act group. It's just fast decision-making, fast flow, fast feedback, and fast failure, right? So that, that was so well put. So we're almost at time. I do want to ask you, because you, know, you and I have been, you know, just to me, it's been fascinating as we're looking at the flow across your value streams. You know, we've seen the fact that you're, you're through this in the last month, that your pipeline and delivery requirements have now tripled. So can you just tell us a bit about you know, what's going on, what's next, and, and any other... I mean, you've had, I think, enough inspiring and critical thoughts that a lot of people will take some time to digest in, in, this, uh, in this transformation. But yeah, what's, what's next? Yeah, exactly. That's next is I think um, success, success breeds more success, right? So I think yeah, part of the pandemic, we we must deliver faster, we must consolidate, and I think it's the right thing. The business believes in it, so therefore, therefore the um, the requirements of doing more, of moving faster, right, is is the right business decision, right? So so the scary bit is you you know. Managing it for for a small set of requirements is you know is manageable, but suddenly triple. And why triple is because you 
uh, when I say triple, is really in size of our in the regions that's actually delivering value to the business. Okay, so like I said, you, you start with a risk-based approach, you start with a small country, et cetera, but suddenly you, you say, okay, well, if my big business stays outside of this, I can't consolidate fast enough, I can't actually save the cost fast enough, so my net benefit to the overall group is delayed by a month, a year, I guess actually months because everything works in, in holiday seasons. So suddenly you go from, okay, I want to take my smallest market to, no, I must take my biggest market. I must take my biggest market because I have delayed benefits if I don't go first. Right. That's awesome. Right. So that's a huge shift from yeah. saying, okay, no, 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 they, they, they're the most risky because they make me the most money. So let's leave them out. So like, no, 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 put them in, put them in first and let yeah. them go first. Okay. Which, nor even that, which is the core parts of that region's business. Make that go first because yeah. that's how I'm going to get my business um, benefits. That's how I'm going to get my IT benefits. This is how I'm going to get my invest once and give to everyone, right? This is how I'm going to invest 10 million and I get 10 million net new to all the markets, right? So suddenly I had, going back to my example, 10, 10, 10, I only move forward 10. Suddenly I can say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to save 10. I'm going to invest 20 and I move forward net new 20 mm -hmm. in, you know, new features for my customers. So that's suddenly the mindset is saying, how do I, if I stay outside, I have to continue to invest 30 and only move forward by 10. I want to invest 20 and move forward by 20 and save 10. So that is this shift. And what that now needs and what that requires now is, Visibility, even more visibility, because suddenly you will have to make loads of trade-offs. Suddenly this decision-making process is going to have to be even more critical, more expedited. And so I think the good thing is we have the, we have the process, we have the people, and people are, are like really, I'm, I'm amazed by just how much change you can see in a month, right? So going live with the first system, brand new way to operate, brand new way to deliver, brand new way to operate, because you don't have a team in a country in a office, like no one is in the office. So now you need to operate a global platform in Amazon for globally with people out of every single country. So, so there's so many innovation that also needs to go hand in hand with, with the transformation. But that's the beauty of it is you, you do what is the next thing you need to do rather than saying, I... I will take my ITIL processes and I will then dissect it. And I, I spoke to also another company. It's like, okay, but what's my support process? Like that, that's, that's your biggest worry, right? You like go for a bit to go. Why? Because they took ITIL. It's like, okay, well, ITIL yeah. is all managing my risk. It's just, I said like those two worlds does not even talk the same language. You can't marry them. So, so you must start differently. So that's where we are. The triple throughput is going to be required, but I don't think it's triple the effort. I think right. the, the effort has gone into the thinking of how to structure, how to create visibility. So what we do now is, okay, increase clarity on ownership so that we can improve decision-making and increase visibility. So, you know, deploying the right tools across all the... And, and where we could get away with, I think, isolated pockets and, and people reporting and say, yeah, I'm on time. Now suddenly it's like, well, I know you're on time here, but what does it mean if you're not on time? Because suddenly you affect not just one deliverable, one work stream, you affect 15 potentially <laughs> because I'm delivering why I have life, I'm delivering my next one, I'm dreaming two markets coming after that. And then some of that is reused by all five of them. Mm -hmm. So the, the dimensions is, is just increasing. So the visibility of what you need to, the, the knock-on effect, the impact of, of slowing down your flow is, is increased, massively increased. And that's, that's really what we're focusing on right now. If you say what's next is uh, improve visibility, improve decision-making, because the business knows, IT knows, this is an incremental process. But the risk is not managed by putting time and cost on it. The risk is managed by visibility, right? And having early visibility, that's, that's your goal. Is I want to make a decision before it's a crash. I want to do a trade-off if I need to or mitigate it because I can see it's coming. 
And the teams are getting better every month. They're getting better at seeing stuff, making trade-offs. The business is getting fantastic at, no, okay, this is, if I have to choose these three, this is the first one we need to do. And I'm, and listen, I'm not talking about small, like a red or white button. I'm talking about like enterprise-wide capabilities as, mm-hmm. as being built at warp speed, right? That needs to talk to 15 other services. So our whole platform is service-orientated, um, event-driven, and there's so much alignment that needs to happen at warp speed. And maybe one service going going late on one small capability can cause pricing not to work or this not to work or that not to work. And that's the risk you now have to manage is saying, what's my depend not my dependencies, but my uh, what will what affects my flow, right? And I think that's even how we change our language internally. It's like so this is not a dependency, it is a it's something that affects the flow. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm not dependent on you. I just need to know that my flow is slowed down because I can't see what I need to start my process. So, um, so it's really about someone not being done yet with what I need to be able to start. Um, and that's, that's complexity that we're working in right now. But I think it's just taking what we have and scaling. And, and it's not we're not scaling like more programs. Program stays the same. The increment program stays the same. We still deliver increments. So, so we have to, all of their products. Every single one of them is running in parallel. They're delivering increments, but there's one team delivering to all three of those business values. And we're measuring all of them the same. So it's about scalability on the ground and throughput. That's now the decision-making process that we need to undergo. That's awesome. And, and the fact that I can tell that, you know, one of your big worries is now the cost of delay of moving other regions, other parts of TUI to this new platform, that, that, that's exactly the, you know, the great outcome that is, and again, amazing, Peter, I think, to see and to be a part of, you know, TUI becoming a technology company at, at this rate is, is, is just incredible. So any, any kind of quick last words of advice before we wrap? Yes, start, right? Um, seriously, start. Like, so uh, I did an investment course once and that's like, okay, so if, if, you know, what's the great, like, who's the greatest investor in the world? Oh, Warren Buffett. Okay, so if you can ask him anything, okay, what would Warren Buffett say, right? And, and people do. They ask him, like, if you can give anybody advice, what would it be? He would say, start the mess yesterday. Okay, so that's my advice. Like, start, because even the, the companies I talk to, they like they're thinking. They stay, they're sitting and thinking, and they think themselves into into a paralysis because the the task is so weak. And they they naturally that that's what you need to do. You need to take your business, break it into smaller chunks, and then just start building small small things and say, okay, what can mm-hmm. I deliver with this? And you will be amazed. And don't solve problems that doesn't exist yet, that you haven't faced. I would say that's the next thing. Then the next biggest problem is, okay, well, what about this in the future? But you don't face that right now. You're facing something completely different. And that is a massive distraction. And I think it's actually a luxury. For me, that's a luxury. And it is a weakness to create excuses in your mind of actually facing and be brave and take action. Right. Don't don't be a coward. Face your problem. Deliver what you need to do right now and solve that problem. Because that problem will probably change tomorrow. There will be another one. But you need to change. Face your problems. Make a decision. Move forward. And and I'm I'm gonna quote Elon Musk. Um, he said his starting position is that his design is wrong. How does he make it less wrong over time? Okay. And I I quote that all the time. I said to yeah. guys. This is very different to saying my design is right. Yeah. Don't start with the supposition that your design is right. Decide what you need to do next and accept it's wrong. Okay. And you're going to have to come back and fix it. It will become less wrong. And over time, it will become less wrong. So my platform design isn't right. It's wrong. Okay. The question is what decision do I need to make next to move and to make it less wrong? And that changes the whole way you architect, the whole way you design, the whole way you deliver. Because again, it's not about managing risk, avoiding failure. It's actually, you must fail in order to progress. So that's my last words. That is awesome, Peter. And we, I think we will have to, we will have to check in again a little down your journey, but it's just incredible what you and, and Tui have achieved. So thank you so much for joining and, uh, 
And yeah, I, I think people are going to get a ton out of, out of what you've shared here. So thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thank you very much for, I think, introducing and solving, I think you as well, solving a, a genuine problem, not, not accepting proxy as good enough. And I think that's, that's really the key. You know, we need to be brave and fix, like even Agile is not perfect. Right, agile is also wrong. Scaled agile is not perfect, and we need to continually fix it. and And the world is changing, and the technology is forcing us to deliver differently. And we need to face those things. And so, so thank you for also being an intellectual, trying to solve a genuine problem that everyone's trying to avoid and work around. It definitely made gave me the courage to push ahead because I knew there's visibility ahead. If I have visibility, I can make decisions. So, thank you. Thanks for having I, me. I'm so happy to hear that. And it's, yeah, it's been so great partnering and, and more great stuff ahead. So, all right. Thanks everyone for listening. You can find Peter on LinkedIn and, and hopefully he'll be sharing much more of, of his sage advice here. This, is, this has been wonderful. So thank you. A huge thank you to Peter for joining me on this episode. For more, follow me and my journey on LinkedIn, Twitter, or using the hashtags MIGPLUS1 or Project to Product. You can reach out to Peter on LinkedIn. I have a new episode every two weeks, so hit subscribe to join us again. You can also search for Project to Product to get the book. And remember, all author proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology. Thanks, stay safe, and until next time.